Well, we've been in our uh, series, moving back to engaging people in today's culture. And last week we saw that the Book of Mormon um, really cannot be trusted for, um, for reliability, uh, reliability for, for the words that it has for uh, the religion, uh, factually, uh, in a literary sense, in a historical sense, it uh, is disproven in many different ways. Uh, both science and archaeology has disproved its tenets. And so tonight we'd like to look at how Mormonism deals with the topic of God, of Jesus, and if we have time, of salvation. We had the opportunity to be uh, in Salt Lake City last March uh, with the dedication of Gospel Grace, uh, their building, the church there in Salt Lake City and able to walk around and see a few of the pictures I took. You'll notice on this one here of the temple, let's see if it zooms in correctly, we'll see, yeah, Angel Moroni there on the top of the temple there, uh, blowing out his his greetings uh, to all who come. And the issue uh, in which we deal tonight is bedrock, just like um, their religious scripture, the Book of Mormon, is bedrock for them Now how they treat God, Jesus, and salvation is really a fundamental difference, a very uh, diametrically opposed to how the Bible treats. Now understand that they use God's Word, the Bible, what we would read, I think they only use the King James, but they use it as part of their biblical books and they would read it on occasion. Uh, But as we saw last week, the Book of Mormon Pearl of great price, and the teachings of the prophets would supersede that which the Bible says. But they claim to believe the Bible. Uh, We saw last week that the eighth article article of faith would believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it was translated correctly. And many plain and precious truths have been removed from the Bible, and that's they say that the Book of Mormon brings this this needed uh, Scripture back into it. And... So we saw last week that it, it does not contain the fullness of gospel. And just to cement this in your mind, it, it is an error. It cannot be trusted with history and archaeology. So it cannot be trusted in matters of doctrine. So um, we, we know that the, the Book of Mormon presents another gospel. There's another gospel that is not the one that Paul presented, that Christ uh, came and, and dying on the cross for us to present to us. And I want to remind you of this passage yet, yes, once again, where Paul says, but even if I or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And then he repeats it in verse 9 again. It is as if he wants to make sure that there is no question that the gospel that was brought to us from Christ through the writers of the New Testament, is the one true gospel. So God, um, I suppose that we could do a month of Sundays and still not delve into everything that they believe about the God as the Heavenly Father. But I want to establish here, first of all, what Scripture says. And so let's look at this first verse here. And Isaiah is writing, uh, writing what God is saying, to whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we would be alike? God is saying there is no comparison. 
Verse 9 says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one else like me. The exclusivity of God, there is no one like him. So he says, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And God sets out for him the exclusivity of who he is. The God, there is no other God. 43, 10, before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. Hey, period. God says, I am from everlasting to everlasting. There was no beginning in which someone became a God that would be the God of this universe. Before me, after me, no. No one but me. So this is crucial to understand. One more, one more passage, Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, the last, there is no God beside me. And so to, to lay out Scripture, the Holy Scripture first, for us to understand who our God is, is important as we go into a conversation with someone who may believe this. And so the Bible is clear. One eternal God in three persons. But how does LDS, the the Mormons, uh, depict God? So they depict a a God who is a father God and a grandfather God, etc. So how do they do that? Well, they speak first of God as the Heavenly Father, our loving Heavenly Father. In fact, if you talk to someone of God, they will not use Lord or God without generally saying the Heavenly Father. Because that is important, because this is God, the Heavenly Father, who began Jesus, begat Jesus, a created being, as they would say. We'll talk about that in a minute. And that you and I have the possibility to be just like He, but He was the Father of us all, who was once, who was once a spirit child. We, like the Heavenly Father, can go from being a spirit child, then be given a body, become human, and then have the potential to become a God. This is the route they would say God the Heavenly Father took to become now the God that we read of in the Bible. If you notice how this is not, there is one God, there is no other but me, by, but me God says. But no, he happened to be a spirit child. We won't go into all of that. And he worked his way and became a God. And the anticipated hope is that you and I can do the same thing. So where do they find this? And, and uh, if they would uh, argue this, here's the teaching of the prophet Joseph Smith. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. We have imagined that God was a God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. And this is Joseph's word, Joseph Smith's word, that God, no, he's not from everlasting to everlasting. As the Bible says, no, no. He was once just like you. And this is wrapped up in the teaching. God the Father had a father, they teach. Joseph Smith, the history of the church. All of these are taken quotations from them and, and reiterated often. You'll see additional documentation of those that have been reiterated by the prophets who have come after Joseph Smith. Uh, in the pearl of great price, because God is a heavenly father, he chose his abode to be uh, near a star called Kolob. 
Haven't seen that one yet. But, um, um, and then after you become a good Mormon, you have the potential of becoming a god. And this is what Joseph Smith taught of who God was. He taught that God was a created being, a spirit child, who became a god, small g, I would say, and became the heavenly father who begat all of us. But unfortunately, their own documents disprove this. Um, if, you have, if you have something to jot this down, and you're going to write this, and you can go later, you can look up on the internet um, and pull down their copy. But here in the Book of Mormon, we have three passages. So this is Moroni, Moroni is the book. Third, second Nephi, are, are, these are books and references. So these are references from their own literature that were the translated of the golden plates that Joseph Smith translated. So Moroni 8.18, For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. But wait, I thought he, he changed from becoming a spirit child to a heavenly father at some point, a human, then a heavenly father. So in their own writings, in fact, if you show this to someone who's not well-versed in how to, to dis- disagree with you on this, it's really uh, concerning to them. Um, and I've seen many uh, in YouTube, great, well, sometimes. Um, but if you, I'll see those who are, are dealing kindly with, um, with an LDS member and just say, hey, why don't you turn to Moroni 8.18? What does the Bible... What does your Book of Mormon say about this? And isn't that what the Bible says, that God is unchangeable? He did not change in anything? Well, you move on. You go to Third uh, Nephi 11.27. That after this manner you shall... And this is kind of their Great Commission passage. This is kind of the retelling of this. Um, after this manner you shall baptize in my name. For behold, I verily say unto you that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one. So they would, they would disagree with that. no. Heavenly Father, he begat Jesus, they're not one. And I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the Father and I are one. And this is the quotation of what they said Jesus said to the disciples. So it really is, they're kind of a great commission passage there. But here it refutes this idea that, because they would say, no, you have multiple gods, you, uh, it, there's no such thing as a trinity, it's a made-up construct. But here, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost are one. Okay, let's go to, to 2 Nephi 31, 21. And now, sorry, it's kind of small here. And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way. There is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby a man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now behold that this is the doctrine of Christ and the only true doctrine of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. And so you have this in, in their writings. And, and so if you take this to them, it refutes everything that the prophets have said, everything that Joseph has said. And it reminds you of our Bible. But understand, this is not the same God. They worship a different God. A God that somehow bettered himself. Their God became, started with humble beginnings and, and worked his way and did a lot of great things and was a very good person and became finally God. And that is diametrically opposed to the God of the Bible, who was not created himself. From eternity past to eternity future, he is God. You know, it's interesting. Um, 
I'm reminded of uh, the passage in, in Revelation that we don't add to Scripture, we don't subtract from Scripture. And it is something that we have to, to understand. And as they add and subtract, and that's a lot of what... And as you talk to, to an LDS member, do, do so kindly. Um, you're not going to win an argument. This is the persuasion of the mind, the heart, the soul, and the spirit, and the mind. And this is something that's going to take time. But if they respect the Bible, then you take them there. And you say, you know, there was no other scripture. Well, they continue to add to things here. So, LDS believe in the preexistence of man. And this is something that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. Um, but they say, we were first begotten as spirits, children, spirit children in heaven, and then born naturally on earth. Um, in, in some sort of fashion, the Heavenly Father with a Heavenly Mother had spirit children. We don't remember this, they would say, but at some point you, you became humans and then you have... And so because of that, you have the potential of becoming like God once again. This is the teaching of the prophet Joseph Smith. And again, I'm reminded of, of the Galatians. You know, this is not the gospel. I'm reminded of Revelation. Not, this, is, this is adding to Scripture. Nowhere does it say we were once spirit children in the Bible. So that's a brief overview of how they would view God. A heavenly father who was once a spirit child became a man, worked well, did a lot of good things, and became finally earned his way to becoming a god. And you can do that also if you, if you work really hard. And you'll notice that that is the primary basis for the LDS, LDS religion, is that idea of working and of earning, of being good. And so that's the, the carrot, as it were. If you are good, if you do all the things, then you may obtain at some point in some time. So how do they view Jesus? How do they view this one who is who is our Savior. So let's go first to Scripture. Let's submit into our mind, just in a few passages, who Jesus is. Here it is in Titus 2.13. Paul says, He is the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the Granville Sharp rule. Uh, this is the same person here. Great God, our Savior. This is this one. He is God. And here, God blessed forever. Paul is writing in Romans 9, speaking of Christ. And we, we understand that God, the Son, is God Himself. He is not a, a lesser God. He is not a created being. He is very God Himself. We understand that, um, maybe you remember your Bible classes, if you've had Bible classes or doctrine classes, what's called the hypostatic union. He is very God and very man, fully God, fully man. So this one who is our Savior is not some lesser beer. He is not some spirit child uh, along with us at one point and ascended. No, this is God. This is God. Well, they believe this first spirit to be born in heaven was Jesus. In the Mormon doctrine on page 129. They would tell you that, that he was the first, and the reason why he is 
Uh, he was in the Bible, the Book of Mormon. He is the first one, so the prototype for all of the rest of us. But indeed, he was a created being that they would teach. And they also would teach the devil was born as a spirit after Jesus in the morning of preexistence. Okay, so they teach that Jesus and the devil are the same, but one was good, one was bad. So they got the polar opposites of this. And they were spirit brothers in heaven. They were siblings in heaven. Um, which is really, well, obviously no biblical basis. Um, but here it is in Mormon doctrine. It says, Christ was begotten by an immortal father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. And if you start to look at the birth of Christ as the Scripture um, unfolds it for us, uh, it was a very supernatural birth, a virgin birth. This was not something that was in any way like mortal men. Um, And so Jesus, being a man has consequences in, their, in their, uh, their doctrine. But just because he was a spirit child who became a man but wasn't really God, then we say Jesus' sacrifice was not able to cleanse us from all of our sins. There are exceptions. He, he can do most sins, but he can't from murder, repeated adultery. Those two are exceptions. So there's, there's great consequence. And understand this, and, and as we've talked before, the foundation that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is God Himself, has great consequence. Okay? We must understand that the Scripture says He is God. If not, we get things like this, that the sacrifice is not able. And this is a, a direct contradiction to the Word of God in so many places in the New Testament. And if you think about this, the, it le- lessens and cheapens the sacrifice of Jesus. By saying it is, well, it's okay for some things, but not others. And this is what they would teach you. And we understand that John 1, in the beginning was the Word. Uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Sorry, I have my, yeah, my notation there. The B is the, the footnote that goes into my, my Logos passage there. Um, and the D for the, the Word. If you see that ever, I won't have to explain it to you. That's just, you know, oh well. Second Corinthians. This was trying to get... So many slides in. Second Corinthians. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind will be led astray by the simplicity and the purity, from the simplicity and purity of the devotion to Christ. As Paul is writing here, he's saying, notice his concern that, that people would lead them away. And so he almost forewarns, not only the Galatians passage, but this passage, that they would, they would be... Uh, drawn away, people would be drawn away. For if one comes, verse 4, if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you received a different spirit, spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel than you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. And ESV kind of gives us the, ESV gives the understanding that you put up with it. He said, I'm concerned that you'll be deceived and you'll put up with someone bringing to you another gospel or another Jesus. As Paul writes, he said, there is only one Christ. He is God. His sacrifice is sufficient. Do not be deceived. Do not, do not be deceived in any way. And so we have to understand that Jesus is God from everlasting to everlasting. He is not ascendant man who became God. So don't accept any other Jesus other 
than the one of the gospel or any other gospel. You understand why it is so important for us as believers to know our scripture. Okay? Why it's so important to be firmly uh, settled in, in who God is. And that the dividing line of all religions compared to Christianity is what they do with God, what they do with Jesus, their view of Christ as being God, and their view of salvation. And we're going to talk about that next. Is it by faith or is it by works? Salvation. Well, a passage you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself. Wouldn't it be nice? We could work. We'd feel really good. No, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one would boast. For by grace you are saved. Romans 3. Just to remind ourselves of what Christ says about salvation in just a few passages. For all have sinned, in verse 23, and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. See, this gift of eternal life is through Christ. Verse 28, same chapter, Romans 3. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not what we can do, our works. It is through Christ. His work on the cross, His atoning sacrifice covers our sin for the believer. It is all of Christ, in Christ alone, as we sang earlier. In Him alone is our hope found. Not in our works, nothing else. Well, this is contrary to what the Book of Mormon says. For we know, in the book of Mormon, 2 Nephi 25-23, that it is by grace we are saved after all that we can do. You do all you can do, they teach, and then after you've done all you can do, then grace will apply. It's interesting because um, in in most Roman Catholic doctrine, it would say 95% of it is grace, and then the other 5%, you've got to do some little work there. So you have this conflict, but... But do you, do you under, understand this work of God is being denied, this work of Christ? You hear the Book of Mormon says you have to work. You have to do that to accomplish salvation. After all you can do, then grace is applied. Uh, passage from the Book of Mormon uh, two, on two slides. Here. Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in Him and deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might might and mind and strength, then is His grace sufficient for you. If you do those things, then God's grace will be sufficient, they would teach, that by His grace you may be perfected in Christ, and if by the grace of God you are perfect in Christ, you can in no wise deny the power of God. So as they would teach... LDS teach a works-based salvation. You're only saved after you deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with everything. And then, maybe the, the grace of Christ will, will be sufficient for you. And so there is very much a working, having 
God's grace is minimized. God's grace is cheapened and denied. Now let's look at this one. One of the most, as they write, fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and propounded by man, man is that a, that a, by man is that a man is saved alone by the grace of God. That belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation. Spencer Kimball, one of the prophets. They deny that the grace of God is sufficient. Okay? And they would say it's a fallacious doctrine and introduced, you know, originated by Satan. They would take Scripture, Holy Scripture, and deny Holy Scripture, and a prophet would supersede what God's Word. This is what they, what they teach. But you understand it has to be that way or else people won't work. Okay? You won't give to the church if it's all of grace, will you? And you start to see how a man-made religion has to have an emphasis of working to keep people there. You'll notice, of all the religions of the world, there is some sort of working to keep them coming back and to hope to attain to salvation. If we do enough, after all that we can do, then we grace is, is given to you. There is no salvation without accepting Joseph Smith as a prophet of God. And so, we might as well double down while we're denying the, the grace of Christ. We might as well double down and say, you got to have this. you got to have this. you gotta, got to believe, you got to trust that Joseph was a prophet. Regardless that his prophecies did not come true, so he's not a true prophet from the Old Testament. Uh, the 13th president of Mormon Church, Ezra Taft Benson, said, What is meant by all, after all we can do, after all we can do includes uh, extending our best effort. After all we can do includes living his commandments. After all we can do includes loving our fellow man, praying for those who regard us as an adversary. After all we can do means clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, giving help to those who stand in need of our help. This is uh, Messiah 4.15. Remembering uh, that what we do unto the least of God's children, we do unto Him. After all we can do means leading a, a chaste and clean and pure life, being scrupulous honesty in all our dealings, treating others the way we would want to be treated. Now you understand, these are not bad things. These are good things that we should be doing because of the love of Christ extended to us. Not because we have to do all we can do in order to hope to maybe one day become an exalted person to be a heavenly father ourselves in our own world. So we, we read this and we wonder, um, how, how, do, how is it that, how do that we, we answer this? And we must understand that... Um, Salvation is by grace, through faith, based not on our own works, but on the merit of Christ's finished work on the cross. It's only through Christ. Romans, Paul, Paul's answers, but if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. It, it nullifies grace if we're working to achieve something. So very, very briefly tonight, we've seen that the view of God as a heavenly father is the wrong view of God. That he is a, 
an ascended being who was once like us. And that is not what the Bible teaches. We've seen they teach incorrectly of Jesus. Instead of teaching that Jesus is God Himself, holy, uncreated, they teach that He is, a, again, a created being. Uh, instead of salvation being by grace through faith, they teach works based salvation, that it's by grace after all you can do. You know, as we deal with, and we've been praying in our grace groups, we identified uh, those that we know who might be LDS, and we're praying for them. Because this is, um, this is a religion that produces some really good people, you know? He may not have been your candidate, but Mitt Romney was a very nice man and will probably be the best neighbor you would ever have if you were his neighbor, if you lived in a house like his next to him. Um, but being good does not get us into heaven. Being righteous on our own strength does not get us into heaven. It's only through Christ and His work that God, uncreated God, eternal God, unchangeable God, this one, this God, the Son, came to die for us on the cross. So how do we engage? Well, I would invite them to simply read through the Bible, to read it simply, honestly, as a child would read. And I think, you know, not to insult them, but say, just read it without any interpretive material from the Book of Mormon or any teaching of the prophet. Just read what God's Word, because they say this is God's Word. Just read it. See, the power of God's Word will do much more than you and I. I will not be able to logically submit anyone to to my argument and beat them into submission. It has to be the work of God through His Word. So invite them to read and say, as you read, if you have any questions, I'd love to discuss them with you. And if you don't know the answer, then find someone who does and, and go back. It's okay to say, you know what, that's a good question. I may not have heard that one before. Let me look it up and let's, let's talk next week. Okay? It's an ongoing conversation. Um, and also, remember those who are in uh, LDS um, territory, I would say that, those who... Uh, we support um, John and Beth Kopp in Salt Lake City. Uh, there are a number of good works dotted across the West in areas. Um, we were there. Uh, this is uh, John uh, teaching in Sunday school before the service. And so, um, if I could have cropped myself out, I probably should have. Anyway, uh, here's John and Beth and uh, Karis and Andrew and Caleb. And they're the sign out front, Gospel Grace. Um, pray for them. Pray for the, the team there. Um, what a wonderful opportunity to engage people. And, and John and uh, Jonathan and Lucas, uh, they're the, the men that are in the pastoral team, are just great guys who love to engage in conversations. Uh, so they will engage Mormon. Now understand, in Salt Lake City, that's now below 50%. Mormons living within the city, uh, because it is such a, a because it is such a beautiful area. <laughs> there is a lot of hiking and snow skiing, especially this time of year, and so people have moved there for the scenery and for the nice, clean living of the city. Uh, and so there's quite a community of those who are not LDS at all, who are very much just living for the next outdoor activity. 
That's all they go there for. It's, it's so beautiful. There's that, that also that are sometimes more receptive than LDS. And so for these missions, these works in this, these areas, they're ministering both to those who are Mormons, uh, reaching out to them in love, but also for those who have no, no care for any religion whatsoever. So pray for, for them. Uh, pray for that. I've got two minutes. Any? I shouldn't do this. Any questions that I can answer in two minutes? <laughs> I know. This is terrible. They're like, no, don't do it. If you have a question, I may have to say yes. It is interesting, yeah. He said it's heard the, the church itself is, is declining in some ways because of the availability of information on the Internet. And there is some concern in the church, and you'll see some writings on that. Um, however, the draw, whether it is some areas declining, the draw on um, to be able to attain something by working hard uh, appeals to a, a certain personality. You know, I can achieve this. And so while there are some falling away, there's still those who are going into it. What you're probably going to see is um, a generational shift. And I think that's kind of probably what you're getting to, Joe, is the generational shift of those who say, you know, I, I, see, I see other people enjoying life. And what they do, they just drop out of religion altogether. Um, instead of going to Christianity, they just drop out of religion because... Wow, what I've lived under, trying to be good under the LDS church and, and doing all these things, that's just too much for me. Uh, so those individuals are really um, to be prayed for greatly also because they walk away from anything religious. And after a time, it would seem in my estimation that they would realize that while the LDS may not be the, the true church, there's something missing. There's a... There's a God-shaped hole that sometimes philosophers will talk about in their lives. So, good question. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of or is there a thing that is a reformed Mormon church? There's a reorganized out of Missouri. He reformed and organized, reorganized. But as she was talking, it's always convoluted anyway when you're talking to them, but this was particularly convoluted. This had even more segments of truth Mm -hmm. than, is this a thing, what what exactly is that? Yeah, what, what you find is the words that we use, they use also. And so you start to have to define terms. Heavenly Father. Oh, yeah, we have a Heavenly Father. Well, who is the Heavenly Father to you? Uh, was he once a God? Or once it was a man and he became a God? Yes. Then you start to define, but if you just leave that at face value, and I think that uh, I'm not sure about the Reformed. Uh, all I know of is reorganized, but they could very well be. Um, but you have to be very careful in defining terms that you're on the same page and realize that there is a contradiction or else they'll say, yes, we're saved by grace. 
after all we can do. <clears throat> you know, yes, Jesus is our Savior. They'll use language like that. Yes, He's our Savior. But you start asking them to define it. Jesus is not God. And so I think clarification of terms is really in conversation. Asking questions um, is probably the best way. Just, um, just ask. So who is God to you? Well, God's our Heavenly Father. Um, how, where did, what was he before God? Start to define those things. And then you can start to, to say, well, this is where why Scripture is. Help me understand why Scripture is wrong. But, but you say you believe the Bible. Well, about Moroni 8.18, that God is unchangeable. There's, he was, about the passage that say that he, was, he is God, eternal. Well, but the three in one, he is, they, are, they are one. And so you start to work through that. But I, very much a defining of terms, very much. I'll look and see if I, if I find anything I'll let you know. Well, I better stop. It's 532. Um, Prayer. Ask God to let your path cross. Uh, You know, because the Mormon missionaries go on the two-year mission and they come and they may knock on your door, invite them in in for water. Don't give them coffee. Don't drink coffee. But invite them in for water or something that they will drink and and just talk with them. Okay? And... uh, in fact, have them over to family events. They're lonely. And they're two years out somewhere away from, away from mom and dad. And show them the love of Christ. And show them that you love them not to be good and to earn something because of what Christ has done for you. The overwhelming love of Christ fuels our love for other people. All right, let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy and by your strength, we praise you. Lord, we ask you for wisdom. Lord, we need your guidance. Lord, give us the words. You have promised that when we are in these situations, you'll help us and that you will um, you'll undertake for us. So I pray that you would bring lives, souls into our uh, path, that we may love them as Christ loved them, loves them. And then we show them the gospel and show them what love is, that you might be glorified and that souls may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.